uh, in the message today, today we're going to be talking about Jesus is seated and undefeated. And, and I got to ask, how many of y'all are sports fans or have been sports fans? Okay, I know you got some de- dedicated teams, you know. Uh, some of you, how many of y'all have a team? You have a team, okay. How many of y'all are like me, and when uh, the playoffs come, you just pick a team? And then when they lose, you pick whatever team's left. And then Super Bowl or whatever, you just pick a, That's me, dude. I, you know, I went to Flagler College. We had a surf team, and that's, that's it. But there, there have been some dynasties. Like my dad, my dad, he uh, was a hardcore Detroit Lions, Tigers, uh, Red Wing, and Pistons fan. Can you imagine what football season was like for him? I mean, he was, he was a, not a Fairweather fan. He was a faithful Lions fan till the day he died. And uh, so, but there's been some dynasties. I want to read, I want to read and see if your dynasty's in here. But these are the honorable mentions. I just kind of like Googled this up. I just bleached a report. Here's some honorable mentions. The Boston Red Sox in 1915 to 1918. It was that before they got rid of the Bay or yeah, I think that was it. Uh, Los Angeles Galaxy two. Uh, I don't even know who they are. Is that girls, women's, women's basketball? Uh, oh, soccer. Okay. All right, good. Yeah, yeah, That's that foreign sport, right? No, I'm just messing <laughs> All right, soccer, right? Uh, St. Louis Cardinals, uh, 1942 to 46. Uh, San Francisco Giants, 2010 to 2014. Washington Redskins, 82 to 91. These are honorable mentions. Cincinnati Reds, dude, I remember these guys. 70 to 76. Remember Joe Morgan and... And, um, yeah, dude, yeah, Joe Morgan, the chicken wing, yeah, and Johnny Bench, and uh, who was the shortstop? Concepcion, wasn't it Concepcion? Yeah, dude, dude, oh my goodness, I'm kind of old here. All right, Detroit Red Wings, 1950 to 55, and then 97 to 2002. But here's what they say are are the the legit top maybe 15 or 10 uh, dynasties. Dallas Cowboys, 1992 to 95. You like the Cowboys? Yeah. All right. Yeah, what are they? What happened? No, I'm just. <laughs> uh, we're going to say that with every one of these dynasties. Yeah, that, that's what happened. San Antonio Spurs, 1999 to 2014. Um, we have New England. How many New England Patriot fans? I know we got a bunch of those here, right? Okay, you'll still admit that even after this last Super Bowl, right? Okay. New England Patriots, listen to the dates 2001 to 2014. You know, so evidently they haven't been considered a dynasty for the last few years, but. Dude, dynasty uh, in all of that. And uh, uh, Edmonton Oilers. It is What sport? Is that hockey? Yeah? Okay. If you would have ever told me as a Florida boy growing up we'd have hockey teams in Florida, I said, you're nuts, right, Tom? You're like, what? How, how are you going to freeze a lake? <laughs> well, lo and behold, technology. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, San Francisco 49ers. You guys remember Jerry Rice and those guys, 1981 to 89? That was probably legit. Oh, how about the Los Angeles Lakers from 1980? to 88, and then they got Shaquille O'Neal from the Orlando Magic and went from 2000 to 2010 with all of that, right? Uh, that was a pretty good dynasty right there. I didn't like him because they took Shaquille from Orlando, but oh, how many Yankee fans we have in there? We have any Yankee fans in here? You, you would like have been so upset if I have not uh, included the Yankees, so they're a footnote. No, they're not. They're, uh, uh, but the New York Yankees, 1927 and 1962, that's a dynasty, and then again, 1996 to 2000, and they're certainly trying to buy a dynasty now. I think they almost have one. They got some big power hitters this year, I think, but that'll be good. Uh, Boston Celtics, 56 to 76 in 1980 to 86. Remember Larry Bird, man? And who else was on that team? Oh, you know all of them. Parrish, dude. Yeah, that was your team, man. 
And, uh, and let's see, Montreal Canadiens, that's another hockey team. We don't include those. Um, oh, how about this one? Chicago Bulls, man, 91 to 98. Yeah, the, Michael Jordan. Remember when the referees used to help him out? And No, I'm just joking. But, uh, same thing they do for Brady. Whenever you're on top, they help you out, bro. You know, you're good for the sport. Anyways, but no, they were a dynasty. Oh, that's why I get so mad because they just couldn't be beat. Uh, more hockey teams, hang on. Oh, Oakland Athletics, Woo! 72 to 74. You're an Oakland girl, right? I know them all. That's right, yeah. Uh, tell, me one of the, tell me the first free agent, pitcher. Okay, Catfish okay. Hunter and Raleigh Fingers, man. That's what my dad said it was going to ruin stuff. sports right there. But, and, but anyways, because uh, he followed farm team. All right, any Green Bay Packer fans here? Oh, I knew we had at least a few on the road. Yeah. Dude, where's your cheese head hat? Aren't you supposed to wear those even in the summertime, man? 1960 to 1967. Y'all better get on the ball, man. All right. But back in those days, man, back in those days. So those are some sports dynasties. Um, and, and, but let me ask you a question. What do you notice about every one of those dynasties? They end. They end. So, man, isn't it awesome when your team's on top and you know you're whooping everybody and you're just like, ah, and they win? I mean, it's all that Pittsburgh Steelers were in there for a little bit. I think I skipped that. Pittsburgh Rob. Dude, they had a dynasty. Mean Joe Green. He could down a Coke, bro. No, <laughs> give away jersey. But, uh, but it ends. And, and, and how many of those teams that we just mentioned were ever undefeated? Were any of them ever undefeated? Not a one. Because defeat's part of things, man. So when you can find somebody or something that's undefeated, that's pretty special. So are there, are, Tom Snowberger, I know you're probably the only, yep, that's it, man. He's probably the only true fan of the only undefeated team in the history of the three major sports. No, I'm just like Tom. Uh, who's the only undefeated team? Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins. What year was that? 1970. Two, and they beat, I think, the Washington Redskins, if I'm not mistaken, for that Super Bowl in there. Because I had, these Sunoco had these trading stamps. Did anybody else have those? No? Dude, I just remember that year. They were undefeated, man. That was awesome. So, Patriots almost got it. And I know you guys keep saying, yeah, but we won 17 games. You didn't win the season undefeated. You lost the big game, bro. But it's okay, man. I, I'm not making you cry, am I, TJ? All right, we're good. I don't have a dog in the fight, man, because you know what, dude? It's like, I know this is for a season. And for a few seasons, it makes it a dynasty. But, dude, that's the awesome thing about Jesus is he is seated and he is undefeated forever, man. How many of Jesus fans? Anybody? Yeah. So, again, help me out and say next time somebody's like, you know, you poor Green Bay fans. Man. Oh, can you back here? Uh, 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 oh, what's your name? She's a Cleveland Browns fan. You know what goes on her Facebook? All the reasons why they stink. She like, all these great memes of how, how tough it is to be a Cleveland fan, man. You know, it's like, man, if next time somebody's giving you a hard time because your team's horrible, I want you to just to say, repeat this with me right here. Jesus is seated and undefeated, man. 
and he's never going to lose. Honestly, when I gave my life to Christ, because I played sports most of my life, and, and, and it was so discouraging when we lost. It was so discouraging when you're playing your heart out and you're on a crummy team, you know, when, when things don't work out right. And finally, when I gave my life to Christ, I realized I am on a team that is never going to lose. And I could sell out. I could put every ounce of energy and effort and anything I had, whether it's worth it or not, into it. And it was all going to make a difference. It was all going, I was going to be on the, on the winning team. So Jesus is seated and undefeated. I want you to look, we're going to look at one verse today. <laughs> Terry's like, no, we're not. No, I always pick on Terry. We are going to look at one verse from Hebrews. We're preaching through Hebrews. And when I'm looking at it, it's like, oh my goodness. I, I was going to talk today about this uh, seated and undefeated. And then next week we're going to talk to talk about the tabernacle. How Jesus, man, why would you want to worship at a blueprint when you got the building, which is Christ? And, and, have, and so we'll talk about that next week because I didn't think we'd have time for all three of those. So I'm like, all right, God, okay, so you really just want this seated and undefeated part, right? One verse. And I'm going to start really just praying about that one verse, dude. I, I don't want to tell you. You can leave now if you want, but we're going to end with the whole chapter 21 of, verse, of Revelation. But anyways, <laughs> that's only 27 verses, bro. You saw them on Facebook this morning, right? So let's get rolling here since I've got about 15 minutes. No, I'm just joking. Jesus is seated. Check this out in Hebrews chapter 1, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, the very first part. And today I'm just kind of using the New Living Translation. It's just pretty easy to understand. I have checked it against the ESV. And yeah, there's some different things and against the New King James and everything. But dude, just listen to this. It's so easy to understand. And it's right on. He says what? Here's the what? The main point. Isn't that what you want to get to? What's the main point? After I tell you the main point, man, you can just like leave if you want. But don't. All right. There's no fun not having anybody preach to. Here's the main point. We have a high priest. Who's our high priest? Jesus. And from this point on, chapter 7, starting in chapter 7, now we're in chapter 8 of Hebrews. From now till the end of the book, he's going to tell us what Jesus is doing in heaven. We talk about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that all is super important when we talk about it today. But what's he doing now? What difference does it make that we have a living Savior right now? And that's what we're going to be looking at through the rest of the book of Hebrews. He says, we have a high priest of Jesus. Now, everybody say this, who what? Sat down. That's exactly what it said. Here's the main point. Jesus sat down. How many, uh, now, now, you know, here's the thing. The high priest, the priest in the old Levitical, you know, uh, sacrificial system, did he ever get to sit down? No. Next week we're going to be looking at it, and you're going to see, and, and just off the top of my head, man, they come in and wash themselves of the labor. They come in and offer, you know, a burnt sacrifice. They, they, they take care of, you know, incense and showbread and candles. And every time somebody sins, they got to kill another cow. I mean, dude, the, the tabernacle was really, you had to be really a butcher and a cook. That's kind of really what a priest was. We'll, we'll look at a lot more in detail next week, but... Dude, the high priest, what was the one piece of furniture that you are taking advantage of now that was not included in the tabernacle? Because the high priest never got to do what? He never got to sit down. And even after he offered all these sacrifices that did not take away sin, they were just a shadow. They were a picture. They did not take away sin. And yet he still had to do it. Man, as soon as he thought, 
oh, dude, man, all right, oh, I'm so tired of smelling burnt goat right now. And he's like, man, and all of a sudden, Mac walks in and said, uh, I, I, I shot, we were hog hunting, and I shot one of the dude's cows. That's a sin, right? Yeah, don't do that Thursday, bro. And so, you know, or, or someone else walks in, oh, man, I, you know, his job was never done while he's on the clock. He's on the clock. He never sat down. So it's super significant that Jesus, in fact, in Hebrews 10, it says, this man, Jesus, offered one sacrifice and sat down. Where did he sit down? On the right hand of God the Father. We're going to look at that at the end of this one verse when we get to that. But the main point is, dude, we have a high priest who finished what he, was, what he came to do. He finished salvation for us and he sat down. Now, I'll give you three quick reasons why he sat down or what he, why he was able to sit down. And, and again, if you ever want to kind of dig further in this, there's... There's like in uh, theological circles, you can even Google it if you want, man. Wikipedia is not that far off, but I'm just saying there's the three tenses of salvation that we can look at. Right? What did Jesus do on the cross for us? He, he, he rescued us from the penalty of sin. Okay, so he's delivered us from the, set us free from the penalty in the past. What's he doing for us right now? He's delivering us from the, the, the power of sin. Okay, so we because of what he did on the cross and everything, that's saving us from the penalty of sin. We don't when you're his, you don't have a penalty for sin. But now, while we're here on this earth, because of what he did on the cross and what he's doing as a high priest, sin has no power over us. He's setting us free from the power of sin. But guess what's going to happen in heaven? In heaven, there's going to be no. Well, are we going to have to worry about having to have power to overcome sin in heaven? No, because what is there going to be any sin in heaven? No. So. By what he did on the cross, he's rescued us from the penalty of sin. Here, he's protecting us from the power of sin. I'm going to show you, you don't have to sin. But in heaven, he's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. Man, and that's not me saying, well, dang, man, I'm just glad. Because Tom, man, he just, you know, uh, I'm glad I don't have to be around his sin all the time. And Terry and, and John, you know. No, more important than that, he's rescuing you. He, he's gonna, my sin's not going to be there. Your sin's not going to be. Can you, is that not blow you away that in heaven you will not have the ability to sin? Tim, what do you think about that, bro? Is that not going to be awesome that you, aren't you going to be glad Tim can't sin in heaven? Yeah, say amen. Yes, woo. But seriously, so, so he's rescued us from the penalty of sin, rescuing us right now from the power of sin, and one day we'll be free from the presence of sin. And that's forever. Is that not worth like amen? You! <laughs> yes, forever. Compared to how long you're left. How many of y'all know that you're like on the flip side? You're like, you know, you're over the hill. You know, I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? Over the hill, you're, you're like, yeah. Some of you like are still thinking, yeah, I'm still climbing. Dude, where you at, Gary? <laughs> All right, that's what I'm saying, man. You know, compared, compared to eternity, I got such a short period of time left on this earth. I want to make it count, man, because this is what I get to experience in heaven. So look at this. He sat down because he set us free from the penalty of sin. There's so, you can find so many places. And I prayed and said, God, where do you want me to show this from? And for this particular point, just so a few verses out of Romans chapter 3. In fact, if you wanted to actually read Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, all in there, dude, you will see all of what we're preaching on today. You could preach it from there. But look at Romans 3, starting in verse 20. Apostle Paul trying to write everything he could write to the Roman people, thinking he's never going to see him again, and trying to show everything he could show about theology, of Christian theology to them. And he said, no one can ever be made right with God 
by doing what the law commands. So you know what he's saying? I mean, bottom line, they got the Ten Commandments, they got the law, they had all these things that they're supposed to do, but no one was ever going to be made right by doing the law of the command. Why? Because no one's, yeah, no one's perfect. And no one was going to be able to be able to do it. And plus, it was just a picture of what God would do through Christ later. And so he says, no one's going to be, be made right with God by doing the law, what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It's like a mirror. Anybody look in a mirror this morning? How many of y'all said, ooh, baby, look at that. I don't even want to talk to you, man. But how many of y'all? That was you, Roger. I could tell. You woke up with that hair right there just like that. And those glasses. You slept in those clothes. Like a wrinkle. Yeah. How many of y'all looked at and said, oh, baby? <laughs> you know, that's the law. Man, when you read the law, when you look at the word of God, it shows you that green stuff stuck in your teeth, man. It shows you the bad head that you've got. It shows you where you might need a little exercise, spiritual exercise, that is. I'm just saying. It opens up and says, oh, my goodness. How am I going to accomplish this? And what God wants us to say is, I can't. I need a savior. I need grace to give me the desire and ability to do it. And I need to follow him. Man, I need to follow him like tight. Man, I can't afford to get away. I need him to rescue me. That's what the law was supposed to do, was push us to a savior. And so verse 21, he says, but now. I love the buts in the Bible. He said, but now. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Is that not good news? Hey, Tom Davis, is that not good news for you? What if you had to be made right by God by keeping the law? Where are you going to spend eternity? In hell, if you had to, if you had to keep the law, right? Yeah. So, so what he's saying is God has shown us a way to be made right with him without having to be perfect. How many of y'all, that's good news? Yeah. yeah. Okay? How many of y'all think you're perfect? Let me see your hand. You just blew it. <laughs> All right? So he made a way without keeping the requirements of the law as he, was prom as he promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. This is not a new plan. That's what they accused Paul of, that when Paul would go to uh, and preach, they were like, oh, you're making a new plan. This is a new... And he's like, no, dude. Let me show you everywhere you cut the Bible, it bleeds. I'll show you Jesus from... From the garden all the way through. And God's got a plan of redemption. You remember one of the saddest things when they were getting the law at Mount Sinai? Carl, we were talking about this at small group Bible study on Monday. They got the law and, and they came down and said, man, if you'll do this, God will bless you. And you remember what they said? Did they say, did they say, no, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's too hard. We need help. We need a... Did that what they said? Yeah, they said, oh, yeah, we can do that. We can do that in our sleep, man. While we're still building cows, we just throw gold in the fire and cows pop out, man. We can do that. We can make it happen. No, dude, you can't. And so he says, man, this law, this new covenant was promised long ago. We are made right with God by placing our, what's the F word? Faith. Our faith in Jesus Christ. How was, how was Abraham made before Christ? Looking towards Christ, how was Abraham made righteous? By his what? What's the F word? Yes, and how are we made righteous? By looking back to what Christ did on the cross. The F word is faith. And he says, by placing our faith in who? In me being able to keep the law? In me being able to show up for church more times than I don't show up for church? In me being able to, you know, do all these righteous deeds and, and my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds when he judges me at the end? Or having a book with all my uh, activities written down, and then when I, even my bad things, and then when I ask God for forgiveness, he erases them. 
you know, and I know I've got some big holes where he's had to erase the same one over and over and over again. Anybody there? Is that how I'm going to be justified? No, by having faith in what? In who? That's it, what Christ did on the cross. And if God is not giving you the ability to believe that, then you can't believe it. Because it's like when, in the book of Numbers when they were in the wilderness and they were getting bit by snakes. Anybody remember that story? They're getting bit by snakes for real and they're dying. And they're crying, Moses, do something. Moses like, I'll just go to God. He'll tell me. And so he went to Moses. Uh, Moses went to God. And what did God tell Moses to do? He said, hey, dude, I want you to be able to get a pole. And, and what were you going to put on the pole? A, 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 not a real snake. Dude, it's not like he's taking anti-venom and you're going to get little shots, you know. He's like, just build a, 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 a statue of a snake and stick that up there. And Moses is probably going like, dude, these guys are dying as we're speaking right now. And, and, and what are they going to do with this statue on a snake? Hey, Val, what did they do with the statue on the snake? What did they have to do to be saved? Okay. What? Just look at it. Dude, wouldn't that be a great, like, medical plan? <laughs> you know, it, uh, uh, that would be Medicare part, Medicaid part G, God. <laughs> you know, you just, you, just go to, you just go to Walgreens or you go to Publix and you're like, hey, can I see that? Oh, I'm healed. All right, <laughs> walk out. Wouldn't that be great? But that's what God did. He said all you have to do is just look on it and believe that when you look on that, you will be saved. And then later in John chapter 3, he said to Nicodemus, he said, man, you remember how they did that with the snake? That's what's going to happen with the cross. All you got to do is believe because he's given you the desire and ability to believe that what he did on the cross not only covers your sins, but takes it away. <laughs> Think about that one. We'll preach on that another day. <laughs> but we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for, for who? Everyone, all right, is that what, does it stop right there? Is it true for everyone who comes in this universe? Everyone, 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 everyone is a child of God. No, it says everyone who what? Believes. believes. And that Greek word believe we've talked about is the word pistuo. And it means to lean on a crutch. It means to put all your faith and trust in something the same way I am this chair and you are. I mean, if this chair went down, what's happening to me? I'm going down. Okay, but what happens now if the chair goes down? So if this is how much faith you put in Christ, man, this isn't salvation. Salvation is surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him at some point in time. Full surrender that we talked about, man. Full surrender. And then uh, how many of y'all just had to surrender? Matt, when did you give your life to Christ? 17. At 17, how old are you now, bro? I'm a pastor. I can 18. Yeah. <laughs> so in the last year... <laughs> Have you had to surrender anything more than you surrendered at 17? How often do you have to surrender? Almost every day. Just once a day? Five times. Okay, five times a day. Surrender You better surrender that lying, brother. No, I'm just messing with you. No, but serious, that's the surrender. You know, it's surrendering everything you know about you to everything you know about him. But the more you learn about him and how much he loves you and the more he reveals to you in that spiritual mirror about you. And so it's just a continual surrender because you trust that he loves you. And if he's asking you to surrender, it's for your good and for his glory, which is the only reason he left you here after he saved you. Could he not if it was about your happiness and everything being just great? Here's an old word, hunky-dory. How many of y'all remember that word? 
You remember, well, dude, my grandma said that word. Everything's hunky-dory. If it was all about you being hunky-dory, could he not have made everything hunky-dory in heaven? So what did he leave you here for? Yeah, to surrender and see life from his perspective so you can help others see it from his perspective. Man, we're made right by God by placing our faith in who? Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who does what? Believes. Believes. Puts their faith and trust in him, no matter who we are. Isn't that good news, man? Because, yeah, I don't know if I'd have got picked for this team based on my performance. <laughs> I'm a little short and slow now. <laughs> you know, I'm not as fast as I once was. So God's like, yeah, I need some faster people, skinnier people. I need some, you know, better look, you know. Dude, no matter who we are, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Man, we all fall. We use this example, I think, in one of the small groups. Maybe it was Tuesday night small group. If all of us got in the water and we said, Mark, get set. I said, on your mark, get set, go. And we're trying to swim to England. How many of y'all are going to make it? Oh, let's just go to the Bahamas. They're 49 miles, right? Maybe. How many of y'all are going to make it 49 miles to Bahamas? Just you and your thing. No? Okay. Uh, let me ask you a question. Who thinks they can make it farther than somebody else here? Who thinks they could beat somebody, get a little farther than somebody else? Terry, you could probably, dude, you got, hold your breath, man. I'm going to go in there and die, hold my breath. All right, so does it matter how far you get if you don't make it? No, the fact is, is none of you made it. Then while you all are going to drown <laughs> unless someone comes and rescues you. And that's what he said. Everyone has sinned. Everybody's done something wrong and nobody's done everything right. We all come short of the glorious standard of God, the, the glory of God, which is perfection. None of us hit it. So we need somebody to be perfection for us, and that was Christ. And so he goes on um, in it and says, yet God in his, what's his G word here? Grace. Grace. Mercy is get, not getting what you deserve. <laughs> you know, how many of you ever like made the mistake and said, I just want what I deserve? <laughs> Man, don't say that. Because <laughs> in reality, you deserve hell <laughs> forever. And you said, no, I don't. Well, yeah, you do. Because the wages of sin, one sin, is eternal death, eternal separation from God. But grace, mercy is not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting more than you deserve. Grace is where God has given us the desire and ability to believe what other people think is foolishness. How many of y'all believe now, but you used to think that this was foolishness? Yeah. That was me, bro. I remember people telling me in college, I'm young lifers in New York City when I'm walking the streets looking up at the buildings. And I'm like, dude, that's stupid. No, man, I'm a Catholic. I'm good. You know, I, got, I, I, I had my, my tags and stuff where I belong. But now, man, not believing is foolishness. You remember when this was foolishness and now it's not? You know why? It's grace. It's grace. He said, man, yet God in his grace freely. How much did you have to pay for it? Nothing. Surrender yourself. He gave you yourself. You're giving back to him what he already made. Freely makes us right in his sight. In his grace, he freely makes us right in his sight. Yet he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the what? That's what we said. That's what he did. He freed us from the penalty of our sins. So Jesus sat down to free us from the penalty because he freed us from the penalty of our sins. If you are covered by his blood, how long are you covered for? Forever. He not only covered you, but he took your sins away. They're gone. And they're gone forever. 
So that's the first thing he did after he sat down. That's why he was able to sit down on the right hand of God the Father. The priest could never sit down because they had to go kill another cow. They had to slaughter another goat. Dude, how many animal lovers do we have in here? I mean, you, you really love animals, right? Katie, oh yeah, Katie, dude. Yeah, you like take care of animals, you know? You like, you know, dude, she like takes like little dribble tools and carefully like, does their nails. And, yeah, she's like takes care of animals. And, dude, uh, could, could you imagine if every time you sinned, you had to kill one of those little dogs you take care of? God was telling us, I don't know, hard, sorry to bring that up. You guys love your dogs too. Every time you guys like sin, can you imagine if you had to kill one of your pets? That's, that's, that's what that law was. Like, dude, I take sin seriously. But Christ, Christ took the penalty and he died for us, man. So we don't have to do all of that. So he, he took away the penalty for sin. But Jesus sat down because he's able to set us free from the power of sin. There's so many verses I could take and talk about with this. But this one, I even like, I quoted it last two weeks ago or whatever. This is one that means a lot to me because... In the King James is how I remembered this one. There's no temptation taking, but such as common man, but God's faithful will not allow you to be tempted above the trail, but with temptation make a way to escape. I'm not saying that to impress you, uh, because the reason I know it is I quote it to myself about 50 times a day. I just lied 52 times a day. No, I don't know how many times I quote it, but every time I feel like I have to sin, like I'm in that temptation, and the temptation's overtaking me. And, and I feel like I, I need to be rescued. I quote that verse of scripture so I understand the truth. And I remember the truth and I know that the devil can't make me do anything. Hey, does anybody, let's see how old you are here. How many of you do not know who Flip Wilson is? Do not know. Anybody here do not know? Go ahead and admit it. All right. Look at that. Raise your hand because we know how old you are. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so then you, how many of you do not know who Geraldine was then? Okay, how many of y'all do know, all right? All right, Flip Wilson was an African-American entertainer back in the day. Had the Flip Wilson show, he's a comedian. But he, he would, uh, you know, put on this act that he was this lady named Geraldine, right? And what was Geraldine's famous line? Geraldine would always get herself in just bad situations that every one of us could identify with, right? We could all identify, maybe not to her extreme, but that's what made it comedy, right? But everybody tell me what her, what her famous line was. The, the devil made me do it. That was her excuse for everything. The devil made me do it. And of course, she had a voice that none of us could probably really do. But the devil made me do it. And so we grew up with that thought that the devil makes me do stuff. And I'm not blaming her for bad theology because you've had the word of God there. But what I'm saying is that was our mentality in that culture at that time that's now permeated where we give the devil way more credit and power than he's got. We do stupid stuff and devil's up there watching. They're going to blame me for this. I'm going to get credit for this. <laughs> I'm going to get credit for what he just did. I'm going to get credit. No, dude. And I'm not saying that he can't do things and he doesn't have principalities and powers. He's got all of that. But if you're a believer, the devil cannot make you do anything. Look at this, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. Now, if you want to go back later today and read the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 10, and by the way, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing to the Corinthian people to correct them on a lot of mistakes that they had been making in the church that, he's, that, that he had been there uh, working with them in. And, and so it's not a great place to necessarily pull all your theology because what he's doing one thing after another is correcting him for this, correcting him for that, correcting him, you know, Lord's Supper. Whenever we have the Lord's Supper, we look at 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and we teach through it because he says, here's what I got. 
And this is what I want you to do with it. So it's a correction thing. So in this, if you read the very beginning of this chapter, he's talking about Israel messing up. Carl be so good with what we're reading in Deuteronomy and Numbers, what we did. And Israel did this. And Israel did that. And then he says, all of this was done for our example. So we could learn. How many of y'all were ever taught to learn from other people's mistakes? Mm -hmm. That's what this chapter is about. He says, learn from their mistakes. And he said, oh, by the way, in verse 12, he said, if you think you are standing strong, what's the next part say? Yeah, anybody ever got cocky where, too, I got this. <laughs> I got it, no problem. I'm good. And all of a sudden, because I will tell you, the enemy likes to get you on your high horse as high as you can where you are away from your protection of God, and then he cuts the legs out. The high, uh, further away he can get you from God. He doesn't want you to worship him. He just doesn't want you worshiping God. He wants you to, doesn't want you trusting him. He doesn't want you trusting God. He wants you trusting anybody but God, and he loves it when you trust yourself, and you lean on your own understanding and commit spiritual suicide. He loves us to do that, and he wants us to get as far away from God as possible before the consequences come. But if you're a believer, God always rescues you. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when you're rescued. It doesn't mean you haven't messed a lot of junk up when he rescues you. It doesn't mean you don't have scars that are never going to go away. But what we're going to learn later is in heaven, you don't have to worry about any of those. Romans, oh, one of my favorite verses, Seth. Romans 8, 17, somewhere in there he says, but the sufferings of this life are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in heaven. There. Yeah, man. So he says, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. So if right now you're thinking, you know, I'm not where I should be with God. I'm not as tight with God as I should, but dude, everything's going good. I'm all right. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. I think God wants us just hanging on his coattails. God wants us in intimate fellowship with him. He doesn't want us separated from him. Again, we talked about this before, that God does the testing. The devil does the tempting, and it's up to us to do the trusting. The devil's always willing to, to be part of a test, and his goal is to get you to succeed. God's plan is to get you to trust him. So he says, if you think you're standing, be strong. Be careful, you might be falling. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Um, one of the things I know that the enemy likes to do is make me feel like I'm the only one with this situation. You ever get that? You are the only one. Oh, Gary, you are the only one with this problem. <laughs> and then you look at it and you say, yeah, dude, I don't know anybody else with it. <laughs> and he wants to isolate you. Don't ever let the enemy isolate you, especially from the body of believers. Dude, come talk to me. I'm a pastor. I get to talk to a lot of people. You guys are all messed up, all right? <laughs> Including me. There's not a perfect person in here. I'm telling you. And you know that's true. <laughs> But yet we put on that little church face and we're like, oh, I'm good today. <laughs> yep, life's good. And then you go, home and go ah! no, but literally, if the enemy can get us isolated thinking that, wow, I'm not, I can't even come to church. You know what? Listen to this. Uh, JJ had done some marketing and stuff for Driftwood and I got, got phone calls. You know what the number one thing is somebody who doesn't come to church asks me? The number one thing I get asked by people who don't come to church and some of you are going to say, what? Am I allowed to come? Am I, allowed, am I allowed to come be here? Because us church people, dude, we're like, we're like, yeah, dude, they're dragging. They're, 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 they got donuts trying to lure us here, man. They got, you know, whatever. But the number one thing I hear from people who don't go to church, and by the way, we live in one of the, if not the, most unchurched area in the United States from here down to Miami. 
I hear from people in churches, are we allowed to come? So be letting people know that. You're like, how could they not know that? Well, church is a scary thing for people who don't go. Because the more formal something is, the more chances you've got to mess it up. And they don't understand how informal we are. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, man, don't take that for granted. Say, yeah, man, yeah, I'll meet you in the parking lot. Because, dude, even parking can be scary here. You know, coming up, where do I go? What do we do? Yeah, you know, in that. So, again, a devil would love to isolate people because then they have nobody to help support them, to help them see life from God's perspective. So it says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, people have succeeded in this temptation and people have failed in this temptation. You can look at Adam and Eve and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. They're both the same. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And they both succeeded by listening to God's word. Well, Adam and Eve failed by blowing it off. Jesus succeeded by listening to it. But look what he says. God is faithful. Meaning God's going to give you a solution, but you've got to listen to him. It doesn't mean you come up with your reasoning. So in it, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now, that's where most people end. God won't give you anything you can't handle. How many of y'all ever heard that? You're like, well, dang, he sure gave it to me. <laughs> you know, I can't handle this anymore. And that's where we end. But you're, gonna, you're missing the important part in this verse. Look at the next part. He says, when you are tempted. So what does the word win mean? It's not a matter of if it's you're going to be tempted. You follow God, you're going to go through tribulation. In fact, to be honest with you, if nothing ever went wrong, you'd be on your spiritual couch eating bonbons, having nothing to do with God. Sometimes God likes to bring things in your life to draw you closer to him because this is God and this is, and, and, and this is you. And you don't let pressure get between you. It pushes you and him closer together. But if you let it get between you, it pushes you farther apart. But he says, when you are tempted, he, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. So here's the key. When you're being tempted, he says, I'm not tempting you with anything you can't handle. As long as you don't try to do it on your own. As long as you don't try to you know, do it Oprah's way or Dr. Phil's way or you know, what some, some meme you saw on Facebook or you know, something. You gotta, whose way do you got to do it? So, Gary, what do you got to do when you're in that situation? Man, you got to beg God for what? Pray, guidance, forgiveness. God, you know, man, you're getting, again, it's like re-surrendering everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. And he promises he will give you a way out. Hey, Penny, but is every way out a short way? <laughs> Does every way take the same amount of time? Yeah, dude, sometimes we, we, we have a maze, <laughs> a, long, a long time to get out. Sometimes we just walk out and go, that's good. But it's got to follow his way. And then you would be wise to keep following his way. So you don't get back in it, or if you do, you're already seeing it from his perspective. So again, he's freed us from the, what's the first P word? The what? The penalty of sin. Now he's freed us from the? power of sin. Sin has no power. Unlike Geraldine says, the devil cannot make you do it. Now, Jesus sat down because he will be able to set us free from the what? Is that not going to be awesome? The presence of sin. Some of you just saw verses 1 through 27, and you have now been tempted to be in the presence of sin because you're hungry. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I beg God. I said, for their sake, God. They even bought me a clock. Please, I, I had a little passage 
And, 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 and he's like, no, where, where? I'm like, God, where do I go to tell them we're going to be free from the presence of sin? He's like, heaven. And I'm like, I'm like, both chapters? He said, no, I'll let you just do one. <laughs> but, man, again, I'm not apologizing. If you got to go, you got to go, man. There's bathrooms there. Or, or, or <laughs> no, if you got to go, man, honestly, we will call you out as you're leaving. It's no big deal. <laughs> we're family here, but I have got, my responsibility is to share what God has put on my heart to share with you. That's what I answer to him. And I pray you're as encouraged by it as I am that we are going to be free from the presence of sin. Even halfway through this chapter, I got there, and I'm like, all right, we stop now, God? And he's like, really? You want to stop? And I'm like, no, I don't, but I'm thinking some people might. And, and, and he's like, no, dude, I want you to take them through here. And look at the last verse. That's a good one, too. And I'm like, dude, we're on it, God. So I'm just telling you, that's where I'm at. Don't shoot the messenger, but I'm going to be inspired as I Listen to this again. You ever are down about your position on this planet? Read the last two chapters of the Bible. They will rock your world. So let's get started. And um, I know some of you are saying, well, if you would just quit telling us about it and just go into it. Like, <laughs> dude, you know me better than that. <laughs> All right, look at this. John, again, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, we're, we're actually in the book of Revelation in our Bible study right here on Tuesday night at 630 and what we're doing on both of those, uh, Wednesday night at Terry and Fernanda's house and, and Tuesday night here, is we're actually um, looking at the seven churches right now. And so we're, we're going through Revelation. So we kind of have kind of set it up. And in this, the Apostle John, dude, he, got, he, was, he was like preaching in Ephesus and Smyrna, and they tried to boil him in cooking oil. But it didn't work. Isn't God awesome? <laughs> he, uh, so so he, he, uh, he escaped. So they exiled him to an island called Patmos, which is kind of like an Alcatraz out in the middle of the Mediterranean. And while he's there, I don't know if there were other people with him or not, but while he's there on the Lord's Day, what would you be doing on the Lord's Day if you were stuck out in an island out there to die? What did John do? He had a one-man worship service out there. And as he was having that worship service on the Lord's Day, God, Jesus Christ, decided to reveal himself to John in order to reveal himself in the book of Revelation to us. And this happens to be the second to last chapter. So John says, then, that's after the first 20 uh, chapters in here. Uh, yeah, that's actually Revelation 20. Yes, okay. So anyways, he said, um, let's get back here. Uh, then I, okay, okay, so in Revelation uh, 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Hey, what is messed up this heaven and this earth? What's the S word? That sin. Be sin, the curse. From, that's what's messed everything up. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's brand new, nothing like the one we have right now. For the old heaven and the old earth, that's the old, that's the old earth, had what? He destroyed it. You want to invest in this world, what's going to happen to it? It's going to, what's the D word here? Disappear. You put all your eggs in this basket right here, it's going to disappear. And he said, and this is kind of sad for us that like the ocean, it says the sea was also gone. Man, that's kind of, a, a, that word sea could mean separation, but in reality it probably does mean this sea right here, that maybe we're not on a hydrological cycle. But the cool thing about that is, if there's no sea, will I have a desire for one? No, because I'll lose my flesh nature. All I'll desire is what God has. And I'll be digging this new heaven and this new earth. Maybe there's manatees that live in the river there for you, Penny, right? 
You know, we don't know, but there's going to be water, but it's not oceans. So he says, new, uh, heaven and new earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's in the new Jerusalem? I'll give you a hint. It's not the groom. It's the bride. And you're going to see that. Hey, who's the bride? Can I see your hand if you're the bride? Yeah. We're in this new, dude, man, I'm, I'm just going to say this and don't take it wrong, but I have never seen an ugly bride. You ever seen an ugly bride? No, because, I mean, and again, there's no ugly people. I'm just saying, how many, how many of y'all have seen the glow of a bride before? Dude, I'm a pastor, and I'm up here, and, and I always tell the guy, didn't I tell you this code? I said, man, when you, when you kiss her, that's when you get to knock her off your feet, off her feet. But I said, when you see her, when you see her, dude, that's when she's going to knock you off your feet. I remember looking, I looked at all you, I remember seeing your face when she came out from back. Dude, Katie, you should go. I wish I could have taken a picture of his face. It was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Man, so I want you to get this picture, man. I think God does that to show us what it's going to be like. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Man, your bride, Jack. Remember when you saw her? Dude, you were like no tough guy. You were stuttering all over. <laughs> Literally, how many of y'all were like that when you saw your bride, man? You know what I'm saying, dude? If you weren't, raise your hand anyways right now. <laughs> There's brownie points in it say, oh, yes. And so anyways, dude, like a bride coming out of heaven, beautifully dressed. That's how John envisioned the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. That's the one Jesus has all been working on, right? Remember John 14? Hey, uh, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'll show you where it's at. It's going to be awesome. You've been working on it a couple thousand years, and you only needed seven days to make, six days to make all this. But anyways, goes on and says, man, here's the bride. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. What is it that separates us from God right now? So if we're going to be with him, if that's our home, we're eternally going to be together. What is not in heaven? Sin. Because you have lost the flesh. You only have your newborn again spiritual nature. God himself will be with them. Oh, this is one of my favorite verses that I've been wrestling with for a long time. Hey, Charlotte, we, talk, and we talked about this verse in a lot of small groups. And, and I think God gave me some cool revelation that's helped me out. He says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And for the last few years, I've been kind of looking at, yeah, what's he going to wipe? And I looked at it as maybe I'm going to be crying because of maybe missed opportunity, maybe different things. And then he's going to wipe it away forever. And I'm, uh, you know, there's gonna, but there's not going to be any sadness in heaven. And I started looking at that word wipe. And you know what that word wipe means? That literally, it means that it may have never even existed. <laughs> so I will guarantee at some point in heaven, there will be no tears. But what I'm thinking now is there's a good possibility there will never be a tear in heaven. There'll never be one. Man, Carol Ann, I don't know what God's going to do with you because you cry over every... You're crying right now. <laughs> we joked about you having windshield wipers for tears of joy, but we're going to call them something else, man. We're going to call them salty sensations or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, dude, what he means is there's no more sadness. What causes sadness? What's the S word? Sin. Sin. He goes on and says, there'll be no more death. That's separation. How many of y'all have cried because you've been separated from someone? Yeah. Whether it be just in the recent past or 
until you see him again in heaven, man. There's going to be no more stuff. When we have reunion, it's going to be reunion. And all of us, it's not going to be like, oh, hey, mom. Mom's going to be like, dude, look at Jesus. <laughs> We're all just going to be blown away by him. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. How many of y'all in your old arthritic bodies, man, are looking forward to the day of no more pain? Yeah. All those injuries, all the times I fell off the vert ramp skateboarding, man, that's arthritis now. I didn't know that's what was going to happen back then. Injuries. Man, he said, no more pain. And look what he says, all. What does all mean? Is there any exception to the word all? Yeah, all. Is he going to leave Seth? Is he going to leave you with one little thorn in the flesh just to remind you of your roots? No, all. These things are what? For how long? Forever. Yeah, dude, is that not good news? You know why we have these things? These things are a result of the curse of us eating off the tree of good and evil. Now we look at things. I look at Eden and I say, I think of good things and I think of bad things. The same thing he's looking at me. And you're like, oh, I don't think of bad things. Yeah, you have. But, um, but literally, we have decisions to make, good and bad about things, when it was never intended. We were just supposed to simply do what God wanted and it was all good. But by our inability to make decisions in dealing with good and evil, we have messed up this world. Would you say we've messed it up? Penny, have we messed up the river, just for starters? Yeah, have we messed up the land? We've, this is a barrier island, by the way. Did you guys know that? I don't know if they still call it that. This island was designed to break the, the storm surge to protect the mainland. <laughs> so if you want something to break the storm surge and protect the condos, you probably need to build another barrier island out here. <laughs> That's what it's for. That's the barrier island. By the way, the condos do a wonderful job of breaking the storm surge for the mainland. I will tell you, I live on the mainland. But... Again, we, we, and I'm glad you guys are here. I love you guys, but don't get that wrong. But I'm just saying, we've made a mess of things, but all of this is gone forever. Verse 5, and one sitting on the throne said, look, I make everything. What's the word? And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true, meaning God can't lie. This is a fact. He goes on in verse 6 and says, and he also said, it is done. It's done. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so if he is the beginning and he is the end, is there going to ever be anything that's going to come after him? No. So whatever he says is the way it is, is the way it is. And he says in heaven there will be no more presence of sin. In the same way he says right now on earth, you're free from the power of sin. And he said, because of the cross, you're free from the penalty of sin. He's the final authority. He says, man, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. That's heaven. We will have springs of water of life. And it's for those, how many of y'all are parched and thirsty because of the sin in this world? Man, he said, I'm going to quench your thirst with righteousness there from this water. All who are victorious, which by the way are all of those who have given their life to Christ. We, he was victorious, so his victory is now applied to us. Don't you Patriot fans wish that was true? You know, you could take last year's win and apply it to this year's, you know. And so do the Green, Green Bay fans want it worse than you do, bro. They, I, you guys got the playoffs this year, didn't you? No. No? Okay. No, never mind. <laughs> okay, all right. All who are victorious, victorious will inherit these blessings. I will be their God and they'll be my children. No more separation because there's no more sin. Look at this. But look at this. Mm. But cowards, those are people that were afraid to follow him. Unbelievers, those are the ones that 
said, mm, it's kind of scary on that chair, just putting all my faith and trust in someone I can't see and someone I don't know. Or that we're like, I'm just going to give him a chance. I'm just going to kind of put part of me on him. That's what he said are unbelievers. He said, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, those who have chosen a different way than his way, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, which, by the way, the word witchcraft is the word pharmakia, which means drug use. And I want you to know that more people died in America over an opioid overdose last year than that died in the entire Vietnam War. That's how bad our situation, including your city that you moved from or wherever. It's, it's United States wide right now. And I'm not saying they're going to hell, but what I'm saying is there's people that need to see life from God's perspective and they need your help to do it. And idol worshipers, that's another God, making something else your God. All liars, that's untruthful lifestyle. He said their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So some of you right now are saying, dang, I've done one or two of those things. <laughs> Anybody, Roger, you ever done one or two of those things? Even since you got born again? You do, did you do any of those this week? Is it saying that you're going to go in the second death and go to hell? No, what he's talking about is the people that are living this lifestyle that are not continually surrendering themselves to Christ and walking with him. What does it say in Matthew 7? He starts dividing people up, and there's going to be people in the wrong line going, hey, didn't I do this in your church? Didn't I probably? Didn't I? Didn't I? And he says, yeah, but you and I never had an intimate relationship. He said, be gone. So what salvation is about is an intimate relationship with the living God. And he said, so, but on the good news, he said, none of these sins are going to be in heaven, which also means that I'm not going to be able to commit any of those sins. Because I'm pretty sure I might have committed one of those even while I've been up here preaching. I'm not going to tell you which one, no, but I'm just saying, it happens. I'm going to be grateful not do that. Keep rolling. One of the seven angels who held the seven bowls contained seven last plagues said, come with me. I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Talking about what's in this big, giant Jerusalem. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. That's where the bride's in Jerusalem, sending out of, uh, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. Jasper is like a diamond. How many of y'all have a little chip of diamond you're quite proud of? You know what I'm saying? Little chip, man, you guys who just got engaged, man, you like... Broke the bank trying to get him a chip, didn't you? You know, and, and we got a little chip. Dude, heaven, look what he said, man. The whole thing of heaven is going to be like a precious diamond with him lighting it all up as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. That's why I don't have to close them. And the names of the 12 tribes of Israel written on the gates. Tell me God's done with Israel. No, sir, man. You look at what's happening in Israel. That's your barometer. That's God's people. And whatever's going on in Israel, that's how we can tell where we're at in time with that. He's not done with Israel. Israel's a big part of heaven in all of this. And, and that's what the tribulation period's for, but that's another day. So he goes on and says, there were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations of stones 
uh, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So the apostles, there's, there's Israel and there's the church. We're together as one because we're worshiping the Savior, uh, the Messiah. They got saved looking forward to a Messiah. We're saved looking back to a Messiah. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its walls. Listen to the measurements. When he measured, he found it was a square. In fact, it's a cube. It's as wide as it is long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles high, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles deep. It's a cube, and there's plenty of room for everybody. He measured the walls around them to be 216 feet thick, according to human standard used by the angels. Guess what those walls are made out of? Anybody know? Diamonds. <laughs> diamonds. We, man, people sold their soul for little diamonds, man. We think a diamond this big in a museum is pretty awesome. The walls of heaven, 216 feet thick by 1,400 miles high and 1,400 miles long are made of what? Diamonds. Why would you sell your soul for, the, for whatever's here when you're going to be living in that in heaven forever? Man, he said the walls were made of jasper. That's the diamond. And the city was what? Dude, we got gold. And, and gold today. How much is gold an ounce now? Anybody know? Come on, help me out. 1300 something? 1300 Yeah, it's, it's valuable stuff. What is the asphalt of heaven? Gold. That's the asphalt of heaven, man. And he said, so it's made of pure gold, clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with 12 precious stones. The first, and again, when you study each one of your translations, it may say a different kind of stone because things were called different things back in the day. But what I want you to know is you've got this big diamond cube, and on the bottom you have 12 foundations of beautiful gemstones, emeralds and rubies and all of that stuff. And inside... What do you have? You have Christ lighting it up. Can you imagine how beautiful it was? And is. That's where we get. That's my home. Man, he goes on, said the fifth onyx, seventh carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, eighth barrel, ninth topaz, tenth chrysophase, eleventh jacinth, twelfth amethyst. Um, now look at this. Twelve gates were, uh, were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. Imagine the oyster there, brother. <laughs> Twelve, that's 1,400 mile high gate, and, and it's made from a pearl. Again, man, how's a pearl made? An irritation gets in that oyster, and the oyster takes that irritation and secretes something around it that makes it now beautiful. And so every day when I look, whatever direction I look in heaven, I'm going to see a 1,400-mile-high pearl that's going to remind me that Christ took my irritation of my sin and made it into something beautiful. Is that not awesome? And the main street was pure gold, clear as glass. None of this junk we have, 14, 12, whatever carrot, man. Dude, this ain't got no carrots, bro. This is gold, man. I don't even know if that's legit, but it's just clear. It's real. I saw no temple in the city. Oh, but there's other places that say there's a temple in the city. So let's figure out why. Is it really a temple like they've had or is it something else? I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. God's a temple, dude. He's the temple. That's everything embodied. The, the old, we're going to learn next week, man. Why would we want to worship in the blueprint when we can worship in the reality? And he goes on and says, the city has no need for a sun or a moon. The glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its light. 
The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. You want to talk about like everybody getting along? Because <laughs> he's the king, man. Everybody else is doing what he says. That's all they've got a desire to do. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. He goes on, and all the nations will bring their glory and honor in the city. This is going to be a glorious, awesome place. Last verse, it says, what's that first word? Nothing. Nothing. That's kind of like the opposite. That's like that all word, right? It's all inclusive. Nothing was evil. That's sin. Nothing, and, and the word for evil is really best defined as a wrong motivation. And the only right motivation for anything is to glorify God. So it means everything that goes on in heaven will be to glorify God. It says nothing evil will be allowed to enter. It will not be able to enter. Nor, and you won't be evil if you're there because you're covered by what Christ did on the cross. You're freed from the penalty, from the power, and now from the presence. He said nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry. There'll be no other gods being worshipped and dishonesty. In fact, what it really says in some of the other translations, there's nothing there to disintegrate it. Nothing there to degrade it. Nothing there to make it get worse. It's, only, it's, it's in its perfection. It's going to stay that way but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's a book where when you give your life to Christ, your name is in there. Hey, TJ, I'm waking you up, bro, man. When your name is, no, and he's awake, man. Dude, he looks at his parents. He looks at his parents like, dude, I'm dead, I wasn't sleeping, he's quiet. You don't want to be caught sleeping in church, and then you're like, hey, that's who gets to go to heaven is there because their names are written in that book of life. So that's the real deal. Do you really want to sell out to what this world has to offer? You want to sell out to gold? Gold's important right now. Man, diamonds are important. Whatever riches, whatever prestige, whatever anything, is that all what it's worth now, man? What did Jesus even say, man? What could you possibly gain on this earth that would be worth missing heaven? I know that's a bad quote, but I'm just saying. You sell your soul and gain this whole world and you miss eternity. Dude, what is there worth more than all of this? So again, what Christ is doing, he sat down because he freed us from the penalty of sin. Frees us right now from the power. You don't have to do it. And one day he's going to free us from the presence of sin. And that's going to be awesome. So man, I don't know about you. All these dynasties end, don't they? You know, uh, Steph Curry. <laughs> You know, the Golden State Warriors, bro. Dude, everybody's trying to figure out how to draft teams, you know, put teams together to beat them because they're a dynasty. They'll figure it out. It's going to end. Even UConn girls basketball had to end, right? <laughs> For those of you that know. It's all going to end, but one dynasty that's never going to end is Jesus. He's seated. He's undefeated. And look at the rest of this verse, and we're done. Here's the main point. We have a high priest who did what? And where did he sit? That's pretty important. In the Read this with me. In the place of honor beside the throne of the majestic God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for revealing this to us. I know this is what we were supposed to hear today. And Father, um, as, as, as I also know, is that each person hears something from you that's different. 
And I pray that that would be true today, that each person would have something on their heart that you would put there. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it can get into the tightest crevices. Father, I invite your word to get in the tightest crevice of our heart where it needs to get it. And you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, convict us where we need to be convicted, comfort us where we need to be comforted, do what you need to do. But Father, if there's somebody here that's never given their life to you, Somebody here that's not sure that when they die, they're going here because they've been freed from the penalty of sin. And it's proven to them because they have no power over sin here, but yet they really one day would love to be away from the presence of sin forever. Father, I pray that you would give them a desire they can't refuse to just surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. Father, I pray that you would give them the ability to believe that what Jesus did on the cross was pay for sins that weren't his and they were ours and that all they have to do is surrender themselves and you'll not apply that father speak to each of us and show us what we want what we need to know from this and thank you jesus